remember our topic our, our topic for today is uh, trauma-based conditions so some of the things that kids go through and even follow up through into adulthood and we want to look at them today in depth so um so Teresa, if you're there kindly karibu sana i see people already already joined and are ready to listen to the session that we prepared today okay thank you so much max can you hear me yes i can hear you clearly okay it's clear hello yes it's very clear okay you may proceed thank you so much uh, my name is Teresa Odiambo. i'm honored to be your speaker today and i'd like first to thank net plus for this opportunity you guys are doing an amazing job um, our topic today will be trauma-based conditions and we're going to relate them to differently able children and how it affects them from at least the age of nine months up to up to 18 years i'm sure is to do for me the slides Cheryl, are you ready Thank you so much, Cheryl. So our topic today would be trauma-based conditions and also in relation to differently able children. Next slide, please. So we'll start by defining trauma. What is trauma? Trauma are experiences or situations that are emotionally painful and distressful and that overwhelms people's ability to cope, leaving them powerless so basically, as human beings, we all go through different experiences in life, and some of them we can cope through them um, with time or not, but some of them we find them that they overwhelm us so much that we lose the ability to cope with them, and hence we, feel, we tend to feel powerless about it. We tend to feel ho- helpless about it and even hopeless about it, and then it ends up building up and becomes a traumatic condition. So mostly it is characterized by shock, fear, or helplessness, and it's very subjective. So there's no way you can compare your own personal trauma with another person. So I'd advise caregivers on the platform or when you're carrying the message to not compare their trauma to other people's trauma as well. So trauma is very subjective. It varies according to the age, personality, how severe it is, and the environment surrounding the particular child. So you find that also culture influences how we view trauma based on different cultures having different traditions to deal with it. So you can take an example for grief. There are some cultures who go through grief differently, which is also a traumatic experiences. And so your trauma can be influenced by your culture. And even in how you're taking care of that child, you should be careful that your culture is not affecting how you deal with the child in a negative way. Next slide, please. Um, So we have two types of trauma, two major types of trauma. And the first one is the discrete trauma. So this one basically arises from one single event. A child goes through an event which they find that they are not able to cope with it, and hence it develops into a trauma. It's mostly a catastrophic event. For example, something like rape 
you find that some differently able children because they cannot speak to themselves close family members tend to take advantage of that and can assault them sexually worsening their condition there's the aspect of witnessing violence based on trauma some families end up clashing because of the condition of the child and end up fighting every day about it so if the child continuously witnesses this violence it's going to affect them then of course there's the death where we're saying people deal go through it and deal through it differently the injury and as well the physical abuse you find some parents who are not empowered they tend to beat up these children because they cannot understand for example if your child has the learning disability of dyslexia and they can't read well you end up beating them thinking they have a problem so when you beat them severely at one go it may lead to the trauma the second one is the chronic trauma this arises from a series of traumatic events so it keeps happening maybe on a daily or in a sequence it keeps the experiences continues affecting them so for example addiction it's a process doesn't start immediately so when the child is continuously exposed to the addiction you find that it affects them next slide family influence on trauma this is so important because you find that as human beings we are social beings and family doesn't have to be blood but basically the people who surround the child since they are young and i've said you can diagnose trauma from as young as nine months up to 18 months so you find that the people surrounding the child are very key and mostly when we talk about trauma also the family members or the caregivers close to the child they also go through their own sense of trauma or how they accept the news so you find that how the family members cope with the news also project it to the child and if it's not positively it ends up leading to a traumatic experience for example i've given a various examples but maybe to talk about the shame and guilt you find some family members now hiding their children in the houses you find them tying them up like i said you're beating them up because you do not understand and you're ashamed of them there's also the ambivalence you're not sure should i help this child or should i run away if it's a child who's at least five years or older they can see these things and they learn them from you and hence continuously seeing this treatment can enable them to go through trauma so as a caregiver how you choose to handle that situation has a great impact on the child that you're taking care of so you find that as a caregiver some challenges you may face which you know to look at if they're in the way of your if they're in the way of how you support the child is if the child is being irritable hostile if your child should be on medication are they taking the medication as it should if it's substance use disorder now this is in regards to children who are a bit older and they're in their teens are, are they already into addiction there's the lack of openness is your child speaking if, if the child is at a speaking age are they speaking about what they are going through and when they need help are they asking for it then there's their transference whereby the child when they see you they think it's someone else who cause the traumatic event so they may end up being being resistant to your to your assistance also minimizing effects of trauma you find that sometimes you notice these things but you tend to take them lightly so i can advise if you're listening not to take them lightly if you notice some symptoms which will be going through as you continue do not take them lightly do not minimize them seek for help next slide please 
So what are trauma-based conditions, which is our main topic today? Trauma-based condition describes sets of emotional and behavioral problems that may arise from childhood traumatic and stressful experiences. So basically, these are the conditions which come up if you do not identify and handle trauma as it should. You find that your child with time is going to develop these conditions. Again, I'm emphasizing as early as nine months up to 18 years. So you need to start being cautious and observing this child as early as nine months. So we are saying these conditions have been in existence and still are. This is for the ones whom we want to ask if these conditions are real. They have been there and um, also including culture. You find that if you go way back, you find that they had their ways of dealing with it, whether positively or negatively, like the hiding of the children, they did it. Tying up, which is happening till today, they tied up these children. There are some cultures which go as far as killing them, thinking they're a curse or it's witchcraft. So these conditions are there and they still are. And we're going to try to focus so much on the on the children, especially the differently abled children, physically and mentally. Next slide. Causes of trauma. Causes of trauma, there are quite a number. The most common one is the stigmatization whereby you have a child who is differently abled and immediately as a caregiver you're thinking of what will people say, which includes the witchcraft. So it pushes you to hide them and to tie them. Continuous treatment of, to this child is eventually going to lead to, to trauma. There is the strained economic resources. You find that it is costly to take care of a differently abled child, whether physically, emotionally. It takes a lot. And so if the caregiver is not in a, in a comfortable place in, economically, it may translate in either medication, lifestyle, and it, in the continuous event, it may lead to the trauma. Also, the caregiver stress, I had explained it before, how you're handling the situation will project how your child is vulnerable to the trauma. If, you're, if you have poor communication, you may expose the child to trauma. If you have conflict in the house, you'll expose them. If you're having violence in the house, isolation, neglect, you're exposing them. Risk of separation. Some parents actually end up separating and the child is seeing all this. So at the end of the day, it's going to lead to the trauma. We have sibling rivalry, which we tend to don't play a lot. This is when, if the child has brothers and sisters, now the, the siblings think it's a competition. Why are they getting all the attention? Okay, So you end up finding that some siblings are actually mean and cruel to this child, they end up mistreating them when no one is there, which leads to trauma. Or sometimes a sibling may be overcompassionate to this child so that they do not give them a sense of independence and hence it may expose them more to trauma. So as a caregiver also, make sure you empower your siblings or your other children because they, there are things they do when you're not there and they can lead to the to the trauma. There's generational trauma as well. If it's not handled well at this point, it will translate even in the future because it slows down the functioning and then it can be able to be transmitted to other generations. We have the sexual abuse as well. Like I said, some close family members or neighbors take advantage, maybe because the child cannot speak or maybe because of the stigmatization they may say the child 
is crazy and they don't know what they are saying so they may end up abusing them there's the extreme injury this is in terms of physical a child went through some accident and all of a sudden maybe they can't walk so that experience can be traumatic for them next slide still the causes like i said there are many there are many, there are many. um Let's see which one. There's death. I've mentioned, of course, death. The sudden death of a loved one. If the child's intellectual ability or the mental ability to some extent is not affected, they can notice the sudden death, which may lead, if the child is young, it may lead to separation anxiety that eventually may lead to trauma. Um, there's historical trauma as well. There's some people who are who have children who are differently able because of violence. For example, in Kenya, the post-election violence in 2007. So the trauma can still be as far back and it may be historical, even for the refugees. If you have a child who, who became differently able through that as well. We also have it in a situation where the child feels there's no sense of hope. There's minimal chances of living a normal life. So the child already sees there's nothing much to give. That feeling and that, that those emotions to the traumatic experiences. Sometimes the children are under elderly caregivers who are not even able to take care of themselves. So of course they will not get the adequate treatment they deserve and it may end up leading to the trauma. Some mentally or physically differently able children, you find that they are constantly in environments which tend to look like hospital-like environments. So it may lead to trauma because they wonder why can they why cannot can't they be normal like other like other children? Next slide. So for the trauma-based conditions today, we are going to look at five five major ones which are classified under the DSM. The first one is the reactive attachment disorder, the disinhibited social engagement. We have PTSD acute stress disorder and adjustment disorder. So we go to the first one. Next slide. When we talk of reactive attachment disorder, the major symptoms in this, which may develop from the traumatic experience, is the child rarely seeks or responds to comfort, support, protection, or nurture from caregiver. So you find that when the child needs help and you're actually trying to help them, one of the ways they may react is they may be cold, they do not need your help, they feel they can do it by themselves. So they end up being irritable with you because they feel why are you helping them, they can do it by themselves. Sometimes they may feel that they can't seek for help, they are really struggling, you're there giving them the time to ask for your help, but they don't want to because maybe they are sad about it or they are fearful, they don't know if they come to you and ask for help, how are you going to to respond to it, okay? So that's the major symptom in reactive attachment disorder. And it is mostly caused by social neglect. So you find that even if you want to help this child already, they feel you've never been there. So why should you be helping at this point? Also, they're afraid of asking for help because they're not used to you. There's no that stable attachment because you're never there. If you're busy and you've assigned someone else to take care of this child, then you find that you're continuously changing them. So the child has never established a stable attachment to anyone because you keep on changing the caregivers. 
is also a cause for that. And another one is if your child is institutionalized, if you've taken them to maybe when before COVID-19 hit, they were going to school and you take them to a school where the number of caregivers are less than the children available. Also, it's hard because the caregiver cannot give a child the same amount of of care they deserve because of the numbers. It also causes them as well. So be keen on, on how your child responds to your help when in distress. And also when they when they're in need, do they actually come to you for help? Okay. What else? Next slide. The disinhibited social engagement disorder. For this one, the main symptoms is you find the child does not have a problem interacting with strangers at all. The way naturally in the society, their child is brought up and told, if you don't know this person, don't go with them. Don't speak to a stranger. So with it disinhibited, brought about by the traumatic experiences, your child cannot be able to, to actually say no. To a stranger so you find that they're easy to go with them they're easy to bond with them they're easy to talk to them and allow them into their personal space and then you find that with time your child cannot the language they tend to use it's not age appropriate and also their behavior tends to be culturally not in shape with how it's used how it's supposed to be so those are two major symptoms when it comes to disinhibited social engagement disorder. The causes basically are the same. There's the social neglect. This child feels you're not there, so why should I why should I care? The repeated changes of primary caregivers as well. You keep changing them. There's no stable attachment. So you find to them strangers are okay. This one comes and tells me let's go. No big issue. Also the caregiver ratio if you're taking your child to an institution, make sure the numbers the ratio is not too wide. Make sure each caregiver can attend to each child in a good in a good manner. So if your child cannot differentiate the familiar adults and then familiar adults, maybe you need to learn more about it because it could be a sign of disinhibited. Okay? With time it affects the cognition and the language and there's also signs of poor care. When we're talking about the age appropriate language, this is mostly in the teens. You find that if your child is growing up and is in the teens, they develop a certain language which is not respectful because they don't know what that is. They're used to being on themselves. Next slide. We have the PTSD, which I think is the common one when people talk about trauma. So this one is basically can be diagnosed after three months of the traumatic experiences and some even take longer some take longer because it can be diagnosed even after five years after 10 years so there are various signs and symptoms which cause the ptsd and mostly with this ones is caused by the sexual violence for most people there's the serious injury if your child got into a serious accident then there's the actual or threatened death. If you're having a near-death experiences, if your child has ever been through a near-death experience, it can actually bring about the traumatic, the traumatic conditions. So some of the major signs we can look at is if your child is having a recurrent, involuntary, and distressing memory, 
And if you have a young child, you may start by observing their plays because you find that if your child is playing, they tend to play, they tend to unconsciously play out the event. Okay, so if they were severely abused, you find that your child is busy abusing is busy abusing their dolls or something like that. So that is for younger children. For older ones, of course, they'll be having the distressing memory. There's also the aspect of dreams. So people may wake up suddenly from from bad dreams all the time. There's the flashbacks. This one can actually, if it's severe PTSD, it can actually cause the separation from the present where you find that you're just conversing with someone and all of a sudden they're panicking because for them they, they've dissociated from the present and they're back to that experience they're reliving it so the sweats the fear the everything are there and you find that if it is a child they may even have dreams that they can't remember but it's just frightening okay um we also have a common one is the persistent and negative beliefs about oneself. So you find that already this child, for example, was sexually assaulted. They already view the world in a certain way, or they view themselves, especially if they did not get the support. So there's the usual self-blame that comes about it. It's called the survivor's guilt. They develop it and they tend to think everything is their fault. So PTSD also manifests like that when they start developing negative beliefs and expectations. Next slide. Other signs and symptoms, like I said, PTSD is very wide and it's the most common one. So we also have been in a constant state of fear, being in a constant state of anger, horror, guilt, or shame, then you find the child cannot express positive emotions. For them, they do not know there's anything like happiness, there's anything like love, because they feel that is how the world is. There's also the feeling of detachment because you feel you do not belong. It can also be a sign of the PTSD. Some of them react to it in an irritable behavior and having the angry outburst, the sleep disturbance for some people. So you find that if your child, you do not try and assist your child through this, they can develop the loss of language. Um, they have a problem maintaining relationships. And also they may develop auditory hallucinations. They're just sitting somewhere and they hear voices and they think, they think someone is after them. Next slide. We have the acute stress disorder. With the acute stress disorder, it's similar to PTSD basically. The only difference is acute stress disorder is more sudden. With PTSD, I told you guys that it's three months. You can diagnose it after three months, but with acute, it can come as early as three days after the event. So if you do not deal with the acute stress disorder as early, then it translates to PTSD with time. The symptoms are almost the same. Next slide. We have the adjustment disorder. This is also the one of the conditions that come about whereby you find that the normal life challenges or normal life situations that children can go through successfully, now a child finds it hard to go through it. They develop unhealthy reactions to stressful events and 
the main thing to notice is that these are normal challenges so for example you find that a child cannot be able to pick up they become so distressed about it they cannot cope through it and it actually affects them because they couldn't pick up a cup you find that sometimes it's change of environment or change of school they have just any problem adjusting to any change that happens in their life so it becomes stressful for them and um, then you find this child mostly in a depressed mood or mostly nervous all the time so they'll refrain from engaging in activities they'll refrain from from interacting with other people because they can basically do not adjust okay next slide so let us look at some of the effects of these conditions if not treated or if not identified at an early stage we have the school performance some differently able children go go to school whether the special needs school or the normal school so for the normal ones like the learning learning people who are differently able in terms of learning like the reading and the writing and the mathematics you find that some teachers are not empowered so they end up punishing these children if it's a traditional based school with traditional discipline of caning so this child is constantly being caned why can't you read like the others why can't you perform mathematics like the others so with time their school performance goes goes down even if it's a young child, you find that they lose the morale to actually work towards their school because they feel there's no need. We have the cognitive functioning, the regulation of emotions as well. The child will not be able to regulate the emotions as it should be. They may be extremely irritable or extremely moody, depending on the situation and the personality of the child. We have interpersonal relationships. This dwells more on the attachment you form as a caregiver with a child, how you treat them. If they get a cold treatment, then it will be hard to bond with other people in the future because they are not used to it. With the disinhibited, you find that they are rude. When I was saying of the age-appropriate language, they just become rude to other people. So forming relationships, forming stable relationships will become a challenge for them. There's the negative discipline coping strategy. This is for the older kids. If you do not deal with the trauma, then they start coping with them in a negative way, either through substance use, some may enter into substance use, some may just become rude, some may miss school, and some may just become moody about it. So they develop negative coping strategies. The communication skills is affected as well. It may either slow down the process or they tend to lean more on the negative talks. So if you don't deal with it, again, it may affect your child's communication skills. Some become fearful if you're constantly shouting at them and beating them. Even if they have a problem or a need, they can't express it. They'll keep it to themselves. We have increased levels of stress hormone. Your child is constantly feeling in a stress space. Um, substance use disorder, I've already commented. Next slide. So how do we manage, how do we manage these traumatic conditions? First, I can advise everyone to try and seek to understand the condition of the loved one. The first step, if you have a child who is differently abled, 
this is the time to empower yourself about the condition so that you will know the kind of treatment to give them because how you take the news and how you react to it is what will influence how the child is is taking the news we also have seeking professional explanations when you notice the symptoms so when you go through the powerpoint you find that I've, I've, I've been able to explain some conditions can be mistaken for other ones, like the reactive attachment disorder can be mistaken for autism and vice versa. So always try and check that, try and confirm that you're diagnosing the child through professional health. There's the empowering yourself, just read more on the same, basically like the first one. We have closely monitoring symptoms. I had mentioned about minimizing, where you notice something that you think it's not a big deal. So always monitor how your child is behaving, how your child is changing, so that you can seek for treatment earlier. We also have creating a sense of security for the child. In terms of, in terms of the physical aspect, ensure the child feels safe. No one can threaten them, either sexually, mentally, or physically. In terms of emotional, how you talk to the child, the kind of respect you accord them, the kind of independence as well, make them also feel they can do things on their own. But in case they cannot, they can also comfortably seek for your assistant. So create a sense of security. Um, we have the learning the social and communication skills definitely if you have a problem in this area you can also seek for help as well so that you can address the child with respect love acceptance and value we have creating self-awareness try your best to empower other people as well for the ones who've been lucky to join the meeting carry out the message create self-awareness and also take it to other people so that they may know and it may minimize stigmatization as well because some people still believe it's witchcraft and believe you should hide the child so it's something for the community just spread the message so that the stigmatization can be can be minimized in terms of self-awareness do it in terms even of the other family members like i said the siblings if it's something that you need to talk to them sit them down and explain to them that they do not need to be cruel to this child or that they do not need to feel like their life has also stopped because this child is in this certain situation we have the creating support groups for each other which is very important if you feel you're you have a differently abled child you can look for other families in the same situation as you so that talking it out really helps a lot it's also a way of sharing information and experiences and feeling like you're not alone so always try and create support groups for each other to share the experiences and the information as well even the activities create, try and brainstorm, brainstorm and come up with activities that can help these children. For example, down there I've written art therapy. There are some children who find it hard because of the traumatic experience to express themselves verbally. So I can advise you can look into art therapy, encourage this child to draw how they're feeling. Do not put them down when they're trying to draw. 
So you can embrace the art therapy. Even if it's in school, you can inform the teachers to adapt the art therapy. It's really helpful. Going back to my next point, the trauma-informed schools. Try to ensure the schools are really trauma-informed because some teachers are, are ignorant on the same. That's where the caning comes from. The abuse comes from the chasing away from the of the kids comes from so make sure that tr the schools are trauma informed as well in terms of punishment in terms of communication in terms of how the building is structured as well so that it can accommodate physically children who are physically differently abled so just ensure the schools because apart from home the school is where the child is also gaining to learn more about life so make sure the school your child is going to is able to accommodate them in their condition and in their state. Next is for institutions to come up with policies to cater for differently able children. I hope that with time we can be able to sensitize institutions to to assist in terms of the amenities and infrastructure. Lastly, it's encouraging inclusivity. We find that basically for traumatic children, they go through these conditions because they feel left out and some react to it negatively through anger and irritability and some become fearful and go back to their shells. So I'd like to empower you to encourage inclusivity. This is in terms of sports. Ensure you find sports they can engage in so that they do not feel left out. In terms of entertainment, try and look for what they like in regards to entertainment. Push them to enjoy it and to practice it to the best that they can. We have fashion, if you notice they're interested into fashion, encourage them to pursue it or to get more information on it. Competitions include them. So it's about making them feel that they're not different. That's the end goal. Making them feel that they can still lead normal lives like other people. Next slide, please. So more on trauma conditions, these are just basics. Um, we can say these conditions can be recurrent in future. So what you're saying is if it is not handled effectively at this point, and it can carry on to the future, it can recur even after one year or two years if it is not handled effectively. Next, if the exposure to the traumatic event is not handled as well. If you keep exposing this child to the same traumatic events with time it is not going to be solved it, it will continue coming back we have it is possible for one to have more than one trauma which is very true so one can have more than one trauma you can just have only one you can have the reactive attachment disorder at the same time you still have the ptsd so they can occur concurrently even three at the same time so one can have the autism one can have the reactive attachment and also still have the PT, PTSD. It is also possible for these conditions to go unnoticed very easily. Going back to minimizing, you see something, you say it's not a big deal, and it continues, it carries on. Or you see a child is too quiet, you say that's how they are. So it continues, it fills up, it piles up, and it comes out to blast in the in the future because there was no identification of the symptoms but sometimes even some caregivers notice them or even you as a 
as someone who is observing it indirectly you can notice them but you deny their existence so you say it's no big deal it will go away with time and the lack of identification now leads to even severe outcomes in the future if you're a first respondent to someone who's going through a traumatic trigger and event at the moment i'd advise you check the abcs which are basically normal first ensure the child is out of harm's way by checking their airways checking that they're breathing well and that there's enough circulation after that then you can try and calm the person and listen to them because mostly when someone is in that fit it's less about the advice but more about listening to them so try and listen to them and when everything is calm seek for professional help for them either in patient or patient make sure you link them up with someone who is professional in that area either medically or mentally um a traumatic survivor can fully recover it is possible with the right support system and the right care and the right treatment they can be able to survive especially if you're able to diagnose this earlier and intervene it will help but it does not matter whatever stage the child is in you can intervene at any stage as long as you give them maximum care maximum support system and they are being handled also by a professional a traumatic survivor can fully recover okay so lastly people have a lot of irrational beliefs when it comes to traumatic conditions like you find that mystery when we talk about gender some men tend to think it's something for the women so they will not talk about it that's an irrational belief so you tend you find that they, they tend to keep it more to themselves that's an irrational belief so they need to be sensitized that even if it's for the men especially in terms of culture our wife to seek help for the husband because it may make him appear like less of a man no always seek for help for them next the rational belief that it is witchcraft needs to be addressed as well these are not caused by witchcraft the stigmatization that you did something wrong as a parent or you did something wrong as a caregiver so that that is why your child is in this condition those are all irrational beliefs which needs to be challenged so people need to normalize seeking for help when need be and it can only be possible if you closely monitor the symptoms and address them as effectively as they should through professional help next slide so thank you so much for for your time and for listening for more questions and answers i've put my email there you can contact me through there and i hope you've carried one or two messages if you have questions now we can interact thank you so much um thank you thank you Teresa, for this for that very informative presentation okay yeah thank you for some of us who are exposed to certain environment where we handle such things maybe where we volunteer or where we work or even now uh, mm -hmm. to to uh they are now better equipped even in regards to moving forward in dealing with them and even for those of us who, are, who don't fall in those parameters and they are not yet parents yeah 
who's mm-hmm. a very appropriate better parents even in the forthcoming future if they're open to be parents even for those who are already parents i'm sure there's a lot that we've learned through the session though I had, I had a question even as i open up for for the questions and answer session okay my question is that's to phobias uh are phobias really uh so much yes uh how do we how are we able to especially in very young children the types of phobias uh since they cannot they may not be particularly aware of the phobias that they have and how are we able to assist them or work them because we find that sometimes kids are have certain phobias and people maybe aggravate the even the situation further by Thank you so much, Max. And it's a very good question in regards to the phobias. So as well, we say the phobias can be either rational or irrational. And that's why it's very important to always monitor how your child reacts and i understand what you're saying clearly that some parents take it too far some caregivers if you're scared of something they expose you even more to it in the name that you're going to to get over it so i can only advise that when you take note of how the child is behaving it may be reaction through a traumatic event and that's where you need to seek for more information and for more help on how your child is reacting and what is it they're reacting to have they ever encountered it in the past before so that you can distinguish whether it is rational or irrational because there's no way to dismiss to dismiss it if you've not sought for more for more information if your child can carry out a conversation maybe you can sit them down carefully and try to dig in as a caregiver and see where it's stemming from either playfully or in a serious talk, see where it's, it's stemming from and why they're afraid of it, how do they feel when they're going, when they're witnessing it or that fear is close to it's close to them. Even take note of the physical reactions like the sweats, the shaking. They also say a lot if they feel the heart is racing. So just dig more and find out. Do not laugh at them. Do not make them feel like that's something you should not be feeling. So if they can have a conversation sit down with them and dig and see where it's coming from then seek for help for them awesome awesome uh, even still on that question i wanted to know are all traumas are all phobias based on like past experiences or past traumas am there are some that just develop as we move on in life for example you might find that a kid was not scared of heights or something else has just developed um a fear of heights and they have never had any bad experience with heights or maybe uh what else maybe darkness or something like that so do phobias are they all related to the past experiences um, thank you so much max that's also a good question so phobias um can either be brought about directly or indirectly so for most cases the child has gone through it on a direct experience 
indirectly you find that they witnessed it so it also counts in terms of witnessing and we don't dwell so much on witnessing from the electronic media like the tv or the newspapers but you find that they actually witnessed someone else going through it that made them scared about it so no it is not a mass that you a child went through it personally they may have witnessed it through someone or had a story about it and it was exaggerated or maybe it was they could not cope with that story so it can be indirect they either saw it somewhere else or heard about it somewhere else but someone close to them experienced it someone that they value and they went through that experiences and because of the connection then they were able to also acquire the same phobia in the process um thank you understood um yeah so, so the questions there if you have any questions just uh box. if you're able to you can unmute yourself and ask your question uh as we proceed uh, let me just look at the chat box and i see mr he says uh the chat box says hello everyone it's, been, it's a privilege to be part of this co planning uh, that is jesus <laughs> Yeah, it's nice to have you here with us. Thank, Thank you for joining us. And Sherry, last, Sherry, and Aulisa uh, with PTSD calls someone to have an alteration of the reality and experience in their head, i.e. they begin to believe another version of events to be real. Thank you, Sherry. Yes, it's very possible. If the severity, if it's too severe, the PTSD is too severe, then they detach and that's where they they develop the dissociative disorder they lose con- contact with the present world whereby and it can come automatically just like a switch one moment you're there with them the next moment you're not there with them they're in another world which can manifest in terms of the stories they're saying they start mentioning other people's names they start giving you imaginary imaginary people asking you do you not see this person is there they are coming for me help me assist me another one is they randomly just physically some people do not express um, verbally but physically you just find they enter into panic okay and, they, and you are laughing with them or you are conversing with them they enter into panic they are constantly afraid they are constantly in shock they are constantly feeling like they are being chased so that's their new reality they do not they lose touch with the real one even if you try to come them and tell them it's okay no one is coming for you they do not believe it because in their head someone is actually present there and someone is is coming for them so in extremely severe cases you can lose this person in the physical in the present reality and it can also con- co- occur with the schizophrenia now whereby they become even more delusional and even they would lose touch with who you are as a caregiver you are their mother or their father or their sister you are helping them out but all of a sudden you become the enemy they take you to represent that figure that they are scared of or of the traumatic event so you find that they can actually harm you so if someone is in, uh, encountering that event or experience make sure they're out of harm's way and also you as a person take care of yourself because they can harm you in the process to them at that point you're not their sister you're their attacker 
or the bad thing that they perceive. So yes, sharing, it's very possible to detach from the reality. Okay, that question has just reminded me. Um, because I remember when I said there's a situation where somebody maybe has gone through a traumatic experience and that has led them to, is it called temporary insanity or something like that? But then uh-huh. people would say that if they're exposed to that particular trauma again, it would correct the, the situation. Is that is that a, a corrective measure or that's just a myth? Um, I can say to some extent it can be a corrective measure. It has been, people have tried using it, it's called flooding, which is mostly used for phobias. Like I said, we do it unconsciously. If a child is scared of a cockroach, you catch one and you try to to give the child to force them to carry or to expose them to a, a room where there are many and lock them in there. So it's called flooding, but it's very... It's not something you as a person and you're not a professional to take them through it because it can have adverse effects. You can even take this person through a panic episode and they can actually faint or to some extreme sense they enter into shock and they actually die because you did not do it with the preventive measures. I can advise this is something you let a professional do and that is if they have ensure that that is the best way to go because personally i believe there are other means to use so that you can finally get to the flooding because it's very it's 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 like a gambling experience if it's so severe you can actually cause more harm cause more harm than good so leave it to the professionals because sometimes you don't know how severe it is for you it is light for you it's something light it's just a cockroach but for them it has a lot more impact on them so the flooding leave it to the professional and it's I, I don't believe it should even be among the first the first options for someone to take so it's there but i wouldn't advise for it especially if it's not from a professional advice max okay um thank you uh, i think there being no other question i think the session has been the presentation was very thorough so, uh, uh, unless I see Asumbi has unmuted himself, he has, if he has something to say, he may go on. Okay. So, uh, yeah. as we continue, I'd just like to invite Sherry just talk about the project and give a lot of thanks for the time that you've had. Sherry, if you're there, very yeah, um, yeah, thank you so much, Teresa. That was so enlightening. I was able to get a lot of insights about that trauma-based conditions. And I believe in the small capacities, we can all make a difference by pointing out these things to caregivers who do not understand their children. And as Teresa has said, a lot of these conditions, people attribute them to things like witchcraft. If you go to um, people of low social economic statuses in the rural areas in the slums they do not have this knowledge so they will make assumptions based on what they see around them or what they think is right so it's not necessarily from a bad place but if we're able to identify these things and speak about them then we've made our own contribution in that small way so i hope we've gotten something again thank you so much Teresa, for taking your time to share that information with us. Uh, May God bless you abundantly.
Thank you, Max, for facilitating and for everyone else who's been present here. So um, this project, Matoto um, Wit Initiative Online Series, has been for that particular um, purpose. Our objective is just to create a safe space where people can get to know about conditions affecting these children who are differently able and to be able to get answers to questions that we have. Like if you have a neighbor, a friend, a relative who um, may be differently able and you've never understood, then these are the grounds that you're trying to create and we've been doing this series in partnership with Radiators Foundation. Um, one of the members is here, Mwadime. Thank you for being present. And also Jane Trance. Um, so we've had this series um, running every last Saturday of every month. So Karibu Tena, um, if you have the opportunity to join us. So if you have any questions or any feedback from this session, feel free to reach out to any of the NetClass members or Radiators. Um, we'll share the, the recording and the PowerPoints as soon as possible. Thank you, Max. I think that's it. Well, um, call upon Teresa in case you have anything else to add. Thank you so much, Shavio and Max, for the opportunity. Maybe just lastly, I can, I can add that the caregivers shouldn't, because they're also human, they should also seek for help. Sometimes they also do not understand. It's an event that just happened to us. So if you feel you still need more information on how to take care of them, and as you as well, even you can as well seek for seek for professional help for for yourself. And thank you, thank you for the opportunity. Thank you for facilitating once again. Um, Cheryl has mentioned one of our partners, uh, Mr. Mwadime, and I would just like to call him at least at Ufungia Namaombi. And if he has anything to say, he can also speak to us as we close the session. Mwadime, are you there? Hi, guys. Yeah, my name is Mwadime. I, I don't think I have much to say. I'll uh, just close with a word of prayer. So let's believe and pray. Father, in the mighty name of Jesus, I want to say thank you. Thank you for this session. Thank you for the attendees. Thank you for the guest speaker, Lord. Thank you for the wonderful session, Lord. I'm praying the Lord, you may impact whatever words have been told today. The lessons and uh, everyone that has, has been here today, we pray as we disperse here today, you may give us guidance. You may help us even in practicing whatever we have planned. I want to pray all this, trusting and believing. In Jesus' name, I do pray and believe. 